0: ChristianDeakCentral.com oh. Episode 506 <laughs> Warning Access restricted. Please submit to DNA verification. Processing Verification complete. Access granted. Welcome. <laughs>
1: And welcome to the monitor room at the Christian Geek Central podcast, a biblical examination and celebration of geekery and geek entertainment, as well as the official podcast of Christian Geek I'm Peter Franson from Spirit Blade Productions, producing entertainment and resources to hopefully equip, encourage and inspire Christian geeks like you and me to live increasingly for Christ, experiencing the life giving freedom and purpose that he's made us for. For more info about Spirit Blade Productions, you can check out spiritblade.com. Com. But on the show today, I'm going to share some of my favorite PlayStation 4 open world games, plus uh, some thoughts about how fantasy is actually kind of real in some ways. And then uh, I'll also share our concluding look at the book of Ephesians. All right, let's get to it. Part 12 of my bookshelf tour. It's been a little while. I actually had other plans for content this week Uh, on the YouTube channel. I was going to review, uh, oh man, one or, I can't remember what movie. There was some movie coming out and then it ended up getting the date changed. And It's like, what I'm going to do? Okay, I'll review Samson. I missed that when it was in theaters. You know, I like to see if every once in a while a good Christian movie can be made. My wife and I watch like the first 10 minutes and like before the credits were even done I was like I can't do it I'm out and and I didn't want to come and just spend 10 or 15 minutes just uh you know thrashing on a movie uh I'd rather just inflict that on my wife privately and do something a little differently with the time that we have here. Uh so I decided I was going to do another bookshelf tour. I am not reviewing Deadpool. I did consider doing that. Dead reviewing Deadpool 2. Um but honestly, when I woke up this morning, I've been losing sleep all week and something about my body is not quite right, so I don't know if I'm heading into a sickness of some kind or not. I just didn't have it in me to go and do all that, so I'm doing this instead, which hopefully you will still enjoy, especially since it's been a while since we've talked about some of the nerdy things in my collection on the bookshelf behind me. Uh, now, let's see here. We left off getting into my PS4 games. As usual, I'm going to give myself 10 minutes on the clock and see how much of my bookshelf content I can talk about this time in 10 minutes, starting now. All right, Dragon Age Inquisition. Now, I loved Dragon Age Origins. That, for the longest time, was one of, if not my absolute favorite, video game RPG of all time. I really had issues with Dragon Age 2 going so streamlined in its combat and systems so as to become basically an action game experience in most respects. There was very little inventory management and, uh, and the combat was just hitting the same button over and over again. Dragon Age Inquisition felt like a step back in the right direction towards Dragon Age Origins. It uh, uh, was once again, like the second one was as well, beautiful, dark, and, and a serious fantasy world. Um, totally my thing. But the, the magic tree, the skill tree for being a magic user in this game, wasn't near as varied as I wanted. Um, the loot slash crafting system never felt intuitive managing that and crafting. It made, something about going through the menus on that it just felt really clunky to me and the voice of my protagonist in dragon age inquisition felt so flat and middle of the road almost like they they since they didn't know what kind of character i was going to play they were like you know what uh Dude, just when you record these lines, just try to be as non committal as you can to any particular emotion so that the lines will work with any kind of character. I don't know if that was the recording philosophy or not. That's the only thing, way I can make sense of what this performance felt like to me. Um, and so it, it just felt so middle of the road and uncommitted to any kind of interesting emotions that I just lost interest. Um, I saw it through to the end and enjoyed the exploration and uh, the combat, at least in spurts, but not, uh, you know, not always. Um, I I didn't play any of the DLC. I still maybe someday will go back if the DLC is really cheap, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was my last Bioware RPG. I mean, if they even ever make another True Blue RPG, which as time passes becomes increasingly unlikely in my mind. So, Uh, moving on, Far Cry 4. I love... Uh, the Ubisoft open-world formula, and maybe the Far Cry games that use that formula especially. Now, th- this one, I really enjoyed Far Cry 3 on the Xbox 360. The story, the main character in this one, it wasn't Die Hard in the same sense as 3, where it was just like this uh, kind of like almost preppy type guy on a vacation with his buddies and all everything hits the fan and uh uh and and he just has to learn to survive and gain all these survival skills and stuff and he's behind enemy lines and stuff so this wasn't as much like that i felt like my character was more capable from the get-go and so that i missed a little bit but really i don't play these games for the story i play them for the freedom of the open world and to explore it and do kinds of crazy stuff in it and all the different weapons and, and the vehicles and stuff. And and I love taking down outposts. That's just my favorite thing to do. If this game was nothing but taking down outposts, I would be content to not have any story at all. I just love going in and whittling down the numbers through stealth as long as I can or through sniping, you know, and then I go in guns blazing, you know, to finish off the, uh, the outpost. That is just like a formula that never, never gets old for me. Um, I hated the timed missions that were often not often but le- that were uh, regularly or sporadically at least part of the the story so in order to pro- progress through the game in order to unlock the full map of the game and to have access to the entire you know world that you can explore you know you have to do the story missions and some of them were timed so if you didn't do something in a certain amount of time insta fail or they were insta fail stealth missions where if you are seen at any time during this mission instant failure. And I hate that. I hate that kind of game design, um, because I hate, I have no patience for going back and repeating material that I've already played. And since I'm a crappy player, that means that's going to happen to me pretty frequently in games that are designed like that, and so I just usually avoid those kinds of games altogether. Thankfully, what I've seen in Ghost Recon Wildlands, and now as I'm playing through Far Cry, uh, did I say Far Cry? Yeah, Far Cry 5, yeah. And now as I'm playing through Far Cry 5, I'm seeing that they're leaning on those things a lot lot less. Uh, But anyway there is still some frustrating bits of those kinds of missions going on in Far Cry 4 I also really hate the dream missions or the drug induced missions or whatever that basically give you whole different rules to operate You know, it's like okay we're taking away your equipment and we're taking away some of the skills that you normally have access to and now you have to get through this scenario with all these handicaps and I'm just like that is crappy the whole reason I spend time going around and grinding in the open world is to compensate for my crappy action skills, and now you're taking away the stuff that I grinded for in order to compensate for my crappy skills and asking me to take on this situation here and with insta-fail conditions or whatever. So there were definitely some very annoying aspects of Far Cry 4 in the story missions department. Um, There were some optional missions that were also timed or or insta-fail or whatever, but but I I just skipped those and just did the, the stuff that wasn't annoying like that. So really uh broadly speaking really loved far cry for a lot next game up far cry primal hey more far cry uh kind of i love the nature vibe i really hate nature nature hates me too i think and uh, we just don't get along and I, i don't like bugs and i don't like all outdoorsy things and bad you know too hot too cold you know just leave me inside with air conditioning and video games or movies and and I'll just have a simulated version of nature, you know I do like that Uh, and so I love the nature vibe and exploring through going through foliage and stuff and all the different, they do such a great job in in the Far Cry games of recording and implementing foley sounds. so as your boots are crunching or as you're pushing through big thick leaves and branches and stuff I I just love all those kinds of atmospheric sound effects that they incorporate so well into these games Um, and so having more of that was wonderful, um, and it was a different flavor. It was all prehistoric, you know, with no like modern weapons, and uh, and so that was kind of cool. It was a nice flavor for a while, uh, but I did after a time missed the guns a bit and wanted to go back I was like okay where's the guns where's the guns you know uh, but I did finish it I did play it through to the end I am still going back now and then and doing the whole collectathon thing where you just crisscross around the map and try to get as much stuff as you can I just love moving around and traversing in these worlds and all the kind of random situations that might happen because tribesmen are attacking or a crazy animal is attacking or a, a bird comes down from the sky and is attacking you know all that kind of stuff um, boy water makes me nervous in these games though, Far Cry Three, Four, and I think Primal had some had some when you go in the water, there'd be like fishes or something that would uh, bite you, and so that's very intimidating. I was glad that like you can swim freely without fear of harm in Far Cry Five. But uh, uh, anyway, man, really really enjoyed the Far Cry games, and Far Cry Primal uh, was not an exception to that. Despite you know ultimately missing some of the things that I that I really enjoy about the, about the main series. Um, okay, God of War Three. Now after the God of War reboot was announced, I don't know however many years ago. I decided I was going to go back and play this series from the beginning and I really enjoyed uh, most of the first one and about half of the second one when playing through those again I remembered oh you know what when I played these on the PS2 the first time I eventually fell back on cheat codes to get through the dumb sp- Spike levels and instant death things you know that uh, were frequent in the first game and that also came back to some degree in the second game you know you had the Medusas that come out if they turn you to stone and then you get whacked once I think just maybe one time you get whacked while you are stone. boom instant kill you know I hate stuff like that and really the puzzle started grating on me those elements were actually reduced in the handheld iterations of the series I think Chains of Olympus and uh, Ghost of Sparta and so I really enjoyed playing those on my Vita and my Playstation TV Um, But by the time I, you know, I was playing them kind of in chronological order instead of order of release. By the time I got to uh, God of War 2, I got halfway through and I was like, you know what, I'm done. It was the puzzles that ultimately I just had no patience for as I don't... I'm not interested in this. I don't want to have to, every other level, pull up some YouTube video because I don't feel like thinking my way through a dumb puzzle or pushing and pulling another block or trying to avoid a timed spike room or something like that. Um, So I... Haven't even started playing God of War Three for the, for the longest time. It was in shrink wrap on my shelf. Eventually, it did come out of shrink wrap. I'm at this point. I'm not sure if I'm going to play it. It's kind of in my mental cell pile right now. So I don't know if I'll get to it ever or not. Um, one game I did get the get to though and really enjoyed was Horizon Zero Dawn, which is next on the shelf. Really really enjoyed the gameplay here. Uh, it, was, it was clearly borrowing some things from Assassin's Creed. It was kind of like an Assassin's Creed RPG before Assassin's Creed Origins came out. Um, and it had a touch of Monster Hunter, which I didn't know because I wasn't familiar with the Monster Hunter series, but they were taking inspiration from those games and just had a very light uh, implementation of those that kind of gameplay in this where you have to look at... Where each enemy... Uh, there, there's very few enemies that are like fodder. And most of them, really, you have to think about how how you're going to approach them on a case-by-case basis, do some prep, get the right equipment and weapons out, and the right kind of elemental, you know, offensive uh, buffs and stuff. And so I, I really... wasn't sure if I was going to like that kind of gameplay. I definitely played it on easy as I do in almost every game that I play um, because I just suck at hand-eye coordination, but I I found that I did really enjoy the game and um, it had a great blend of sci-fi and fantasy, so the the setting was unusual and that was great. Uh, There were some boss battles that for me were a little too long or frustrating, but I loved the open world exploring and looting and crafting. Uh, Oh, there's the timer, so this will be the last one I talk about. Um, The creatures were visually unique and conceptually unique and the setting as well being a post -post post-apocalyptic setting. And um, the, the one thing that's kind of like eye rolling for me about Horizon Zero Dawn is that it has a heavy, I think, naturalistic or atheistic uh, philosophical influence in the writing of the story. Um, very kind of anti-religious and um, the, the the writing also has like maybe some liberal social causes kind of thrown in and, you know, that stuff, it doesn't like make me like, I can't play this or whatever, you know. Um, but I think what exacerbated the situation was that Uh, Aloy, the main character, she has a big chip on her shoulder because she was mistreated growing up by uh, some religious people in her world, you know, and it left her with this just big, bitter chip on her shoulder and kind of like some arrogance. She just came across as this prideful, arrogant, and really unfortunate voice representing those viewpoints. It's not that I support those viewpoints, but I'd still like the representation of them to not be clouded by this character that i find kind of abrasive you know um i really would like a new hero in the sequel to horizon zero dawn that they are undoubtedly working on or an anti-hero i mean i would love to play silence uh, in the the guy that's kind of like giving her some counsel and stuff but is has dubious motives that you're not kind of quite sure about you know uh i would love to play as silence in the next horizon zero dawn game I I really doubt they're going to let me do that. Our friends at speculativefaith.com are lending us another article to share. This one titled, Fantasy is the Most Eternally Realistic Kind of Story, written by Raquel Burns, published on May 8th, 2018. She writes, Is fantasy merely escapism, or is something more profound woven into those tales? Fantasy fiction whisks away readers to worlds filled with the strange, the ethereal, the alien. They conjure images of chosen warriors and dark armies fighting against nebulous powers. These stories would seem to point one away from Biblical truth, or at the very least distract from it. However, I argue that fantasy does the opposite. When we read fantasy, we begin a journey filled with trials and pitfalls that mirror our own struggles in living a faithful life. We see echoes of our own battles in fantasy, and so we learn we are not alone. One of the strengths of fantasy is that it is so hyperbolized. Everything is ratcheted up to a life-or-death level. The contrast very often between good and evil is stark, and the results of turning toward good or toward evil are world-altering. The battles are usually not only for kingdoms, but sometimes even existence. Fantasy is a deeply symbolic form of storytelling that often brings to the forefront the ideas behind the symbols themselves. A tablet cracked, a throne restored, a crown that weighs heavy. And we realize our decisions have consequences. In fantasy, we explore themes like stepping out in faith despite feeling woefully unprepared or equipped. Whether you're a mother or a hobbit, we all experience fear at some point in our lives. Or perhaps it is the fight against enticement, whether it is power, lust, or even Turkish delight that we identify with. When both the powerful and the simple were tempted in Tolkien's tales, did that not also warn us all that no one is immune? And so we learn mercy. The wandering hero is often found in this genre and strikes a chord with anyone who has felt alone in their own walk of faith, or who have cried out and heard echoes in return. Yet there is always, however long it may take, an answer. We see we are not truly lost. Through fantasy, we can explore the real consequences of deviating from the course laid out for us and trusting only in our own knowledge. A hero who insists on his own path out of pride or arrogance soon learns that humility can be as powerful as brawn. And though we may not face the literal fiery breath of a dragon, the beasts of sin are on the constant prowl for us. And so we learn the value of wisdom. Perhaps it is fantasy's fascination with connections to something greater, whether it is a power to defeat evil or discernment to stop a war. Maybe it's the strength to be just which draws us to those stories. It is through fantasy that we can struggle with profound questions about our own human condition, and it is where we can explore ideas of honor in the face of tyranny. Courage, despite almost guaranteed failure— giving oneself over to something larger than yourself and fulfilling a calling that will define your life. Redemption is one of the staple themes in fantasy where heroes are often battle-worn and world-weary, where the baser aspects of human existence have left scars. We have stories where heroes are lost in who they are, paralyzed with anger, or crumbling under the mantle of expectations. And yet fantasy is a genre of hope a chance to right wrongs, that is truly a Christian sentiment. We see it time and again in the Bible, Jesus forgiving a denier, God blessing a couple with a child, or the restoration of a people. Fantasy can point us to grace. Symbolic and prophetic, these are the tales that teach us about strength and sacrifice. We walk with often deeply flawed characters through failure, consequences, and ultimately, we hope, their redemption. Fantasy takes us through depths of struggle when it truly does cost dearly to stay the course. We see that faith is not always pretty. We see that it is often not easy. But fantasy shows us more. It shows us that it is worth it. Again, that article from speculativefaith.com, written by Raquel Burns, is titled Fantasy is the Most Eternally Realistic Kind of Story. You can find that article and a bunch more like it over at speculativefaith.com. I want to remind you guys to check out the other members of the Christian Geek Central Network, such as the Strangers and Aliens podcast, the Theology Gaming podcast, the Untold podcast, POSTOS, Helix Reviews, and the Retro Rewind podcast. For more information about the CGC Network, visit ChristianGeekCentral.com.
0: Data collection complete. Activating news net 1.0.
1: This week on the forums at ChristianGeekCentral.com, I have been asking the question, should we move our community to Facebook? And it's been generating some helpful discussion, but I, I really want to hear from as many people as possible who want to give some feedback and help us shape the future Of our community So please go over to the forums At christiangeekcentral.com And uh, leave your opinion there Actually even though the title Of the discussion is Should we move our community To Facebook Um, Facebook may not be The front runner If we uh, move our community Away from the forum Platform that we're using Right now We may be moving to I don't know Discourse has been mentioned uh, Discord has been mentioned, and maybe one other, I can't remember. But uh, anyway, if you have any thoughts about that, uh, then I would love to hear them. Again, over at ChristianGeekCentral.com on our forums. Uh, at YouTube.com slash ChristianGeekCentral, this week I posted um, the, uh, the what do you call it? Oh no, what is this? This is wrong. There it is. Okay, I put my notes in the wrong place. I updated in the wrong spot. Uh, on Monday, I put up the last uh, In Search of Truth video, which at some point, I think maybe when I revive the series, I need to create a new opening. Um, I had a a reason for it. I won't go into it now, but uh, I had a reason for giving that Bible study segment a different title on the YouTube channel than it has on the podcast. And I think I'm going to unify the two under the same title uh, now that I've made uh, the decision to uh, to continue with that on uh, on YouTube long term. So uh, anyway, but yeah, the uh, Fighting Our True Enemies Part 3, which is part of our look at Ephesians and just kind of uh, entering into the spiritual battles that we uh, that we face on a regular basis. Um, that, uh, so that's up. Also, the Speculative Faith article about how fantasy is actually Real. You can get the video version uh, again at youtube.com/slash Christian Geek Central. And then I've put part two of the live stream that was themed around games I'm in love with. And I've started adding like timestamps to that so that even though the files are kind of big and long, you can skip around to the topics you're interested in. The two that stood out that I decided to make part of the title this time around were M-rated games and quote-unquote bad. Words, bad language. So we had some uh, interesting exchange on that um, during that part of the live stream. And then lastly, uh, my PlayStation 4 open world. Uh, games that I have really enjoyed in the past as part of my bookshelf tour, the video version of that, also up now at youtube.com slash Christian Geek Central. If you want to help make sure Spirit Blade Productions can keep doing what we're doing or do more of it, both faster and better, you're invited to make a donation of any amount, anytime, or become a part of the Spirit Blade Insider Program and get monthly exclusive goodies. I want to say a special thank you to all of my insiders for your very tangible support that makes so much of my work possible. Thank you. Thank you so Much, you guys. Um, that the for for those who are curious. Being a Spirit Blade Insider also directly supports Christian Geek Central and all of its endeavors. Christian Geek Central is just an outgrowth of Spirit Blade Productions. All the resources come from the same pot. So uh, becoming a Spirit Blade Insider or donating to uh, Spirit Blade Productions, that's a donation. That's support directly to Christian Geek Central. For more information about becoming a Spirit Blade Insider, you can visit our About page at spiritblade.com. And while you're there, you're also invited to support us by purchasing a download of one of our original sci-fi fantasy audio dramas for a friend or family member with one of our available gift codes. Again, for information visit spiritblade.com The truth will set you free. Truth is that which corresponds to fact or reality. To assert that truth is not absolute is a self-defeating proposition. Lots of things are possible but our beliefs should reflect the best explanation of the available evidence. I'm no expert but the Time in search of truth. The truth will is... you Right now, I'm going to attempt to examine the Bible and dissect some of the churchy language that we can sometimes take for granted, digging into history and languages as I'm able to try and get at the heart of the text, so hopefully we can see and apply some of what God has for us in these words today. Now, I'm not formally trained in Scripture. I'm just a guy using resources and a questioning mind to try and get at the truth, and that's something that we can all do, something hopefully you've been doing uh, with us for a while as we've been going through the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to wrap up the entire book of Ephesians right now, We're looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18b through uh, 24. And in the ESV, that reads, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak, All right, so looking at verse 18b, first off, uh it says, To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Uh, in the first part of verse 18, believers are told to be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. With that end in mind, we are to be alert and persevere in a sort of constant state Of prayer, a constant ongoing conversation with God uh, throughout the moments of our day. If, like me, you you think you'll quickly run out of things to pray for, then we can start by, uh, as he says here, making supplication for all the saints. The Greek word for saints here simply means holy ones or set-apart ones. It doesn't just refer to some super special Christians that have been added to a list somewhere. It refers to all genuine believers in Christ. So the next time we don't know what in the world to pray about, we can start with a mental list of every Christian we know and be thinking about what's going on in their lives, where they could uh, especially use God's uh, intervening help. Uh, Looking at verses 19 through 20, uh it says and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak Paul specifically asks for prayer for himself and his ability to speak truth well on behalf of the gospel message it's a little surprising to realize that the apostle responsible for some of the most rich and complex teaching in all the bible was concerned ...about what he would say while sharing the gospel. Uh, Then again, his context for sharing that message was one of imprisonment and chains. Perhaps from this, we can take uh, this as a, a reminder to be praying for those who are suffering or being persecuted for their faith in Christ... Now, in free, modern countries like America, we may know some Christians who have suffered social discrimination or something worse in more rare cases, but a few simple searches online will show us the much more intense and horrific suffering that believers are experiencing in places that we know very little about or think very little about. It's a worthwhile exercise for us the next time we blank on what to pray about. Um, the, uh, The time of Christians being persecuted and physically suffering in terrible ways for their faith is not some distant thing from a barbaric age. It's happening. It's happening right now. Um, I think we can also use this passage as a springboard for praying for our leaders and teachers in our local churches. Uh, while it may sometimes seem like they are not suffering, like they kind of are, are happy all the time and have it all together, um, it can often be the case that we don't see their suffering because of the responsibility they may feel to not be a burden on anyone, uh, or they may choose to only share their pain with a trusted few. But I can almost guarantee you that any pastor who is teaching regularly from the Word of God is also regularly finding themselves in strenuous, emotionally taxing uh, circumstances. That's as I have gotten to know uh, a number of the pastors on the the staff of our church alone, and then also talking to other pastors, um, both uh, online and from other local churches. You know, um, they're they're going through some really difficult things. Um, at almost any time, uh, you can be guaranteed that they're going through some strenuous, emotionally taxing stuff on an ongoing basis. Um, Since God's word can itself provoke backlash, a Bible teacher or preacher can be tempted to neglect certain applications of scripture in their teaching, or even neglect certain passages of scripture altogether. Uh, Our pastors and teachers need us to pray for their empowered boldness, as Paul was wanting to speak with boldness as he ought to here. Uh, So our pastors and teachers need us to be praying for their empowered boldness in presenting truth without any compromising timidity. Uh, That's something I'd appreciate your prayers for, uh, too. I've discovered that when you open your mouth to share what you see Scripture saying, it shines a target on your forehead, Uh, even if you take pains to, um, to deliver it in a way that is persuasive and uh, appealing. Um, sometimes the truth is just the truth, you know, no matter how gently you try to put it out there, when it's put out there with clarity and without compromising, it very often uh, is going to cause a reaction that puts a, a target on your forehead, a target I've discovered often put there by fellow Christians, unfortunately. Uh, I think I'm building some tolerance to it, but I'm still very weak um, and just in constant need of, of God's grace. So I want to thank any of you who have ever found yourselves praying for me uh, and for the, the teaching side of my, my work in ministry. Um, looking at verses 21 and 22 now. It says in the ESV, So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. As Paul prepares to wrap up his letter, he explains why he sent Tychicus to take the letter to its recipients. Tychicus is also mentioned in Colossians 4, 7-9, Titus three twelve, and 2 Timothy four twelve. He was Paul's personal representative to a number of churches. His involvement here is a reminder, I think, of how even the great Apostle Paul was dependent on others for his ministry. He both partnered with Tychicus in ministry and, we see, loved him on a personal level. Isolation is not a mark of spiritual maturity. Instead, as our faith and wisdom grow and we are being used more and more by God, the norm will be that our relationships partnerships and codependency with other Christians will grow deeper. Now, verses 23 and 24, uh, again, they read, peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Uh, Paul's closing benediction, sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's easy to kind of check out (laughs) in the uh, opening and closing of uh, of some of Paul's letters. But this isn't just formulaic religious babble going on here. It, It has a different format when compared to other closing benedictions in his letters, and seems to be customized in light of what he has been writing about. After teaching so much about the intent for unity among diverse kinds of believers, Paul's prayer is for peace. Among them, as well as love that is partnered with faith. All three are strongly related. Peace between believers comes about because of their love for each other. Their love for each other grows out of their faith in the reality of God's love and salvation for each believer. And all three of these vital parts of church community originate with God. Now, there's some debate over the last verse, you know, is is the blessing just for those believers who specifically love Jesus with a pure, incorruptible love? Or does Paul assume that as far as the new self is concerned, which he talks about in chapter 4, all believers do have an incorruptible, also mean immortal and undying love for Jesus because we've been secured. We have eternal life as a secured gift, and so our love for him, which has begun now, is already guaranteed to be immortal and undying. So, is that what he means there? Well, Paul doesn't seem to limit his closing blessing of grace to any subgroups of believers when uh, he gives a blessing of grace in his other letters. In fact, the exact opposite is true in several cases where he specifically says, um, You all, or all the brothers, you know, um, grace be to all of you, to you all, or our all, grace to all the brothers. And um, both the call to unity and the sense of eternal purpose and identity Paul focuses on in this letter, lead me to conclude that he is referring to all believers here. Now, grace uh, simply means undeserved favor. I've tried to touch on that almost any time we bring up the word grace, because it is one of those churchy words that can go in one ear and out the other, and we don't really think about it. But it means undeserved favor. Grace is such a recurring prayer request and blessing that Paul offers in his letters, because it's what we need to receive and it's what we need to give in order for our church communities to be healthy and in line with God's will. Uh, We can't be playing these little games of evaluating each other or evaluating ourselves and kind of mentally putting ourselves in a certain place on a stack of, you know, how good a Christian we are. We've got to get away from that as much as possible. Yes, we need to evaluate you know, what is healthy and what is unhealthy, but getting into these mentalities of ranking and can lead to a legalism where we only give other people what they, what we think they deserve and there's, it just gets all messy. It gets so jacked up and dysfunctional, um, when churches get away from grace, from giving favor to each other that we know this other person does not deserve, but we're giving it to them anyway because that's grace, you know, um... So what's in all this for geeks? Well, throughout Ephesians, Paul and the Holy Spirit are calling believers to be united and live in thriving, purposeful community with each other, embracing our new identities in Christ and pursuing the incredibly significant work he has for us to do together. The, these final words in the book of Ephesians are another reminder, I think, that we can't be hermit Christians. The, the life God wants for us involves supporting other believers and allowing them to support us. And the context for that is always in this local community of believers when we see it in the the New Testament. Um, Even as Paul is long distance, he's longing to be, he's not content to be away from other believers. He wants to be with the people that he's talking to. Um, And so that's what we ought to be seeking to have, is a a local community um, of believers that we are connected to, where we're supporting other believers and allowing them to support us and looking for every opportunity to be in agreement and unity. You know, we should talk about our differences and we should hold to our convictions, but our strongest passion, what we are most known for, should be expressed not in our doctrinal differences or, you know, whatever minutia of the the Bible we have strong opinions on, um, we can take strong stances on those, but even stronger than than those should we we should be known for uh, how we love and support each other. That should be the most glaringly obvious thing about us is our love for each other so in other words this isn't a this isn 't a call i don 't think from from me and as I see it in scripture to like you know don 't take these certain things in scripture that these doctrinal issues and stuff these these doctrinal convictions you have don 't take those so seriously no, take those seriously, take those seriously, yeah. But uh, we need to grow a ton, a ton in the area of love and compassion and and extending grace to each other and supporting each other in both prayer and through repeated actions in each other's lives. Um, all right. So there you have it. We finished the book of Ephesians. Uh, I wanted to dive into that however long ago. I want to say like a year and a half ago maybe is when we started, maybe a little longer. I can't remember. But I thought it would be a good way to kind of just prevent present excuse me some some vision for a community of believers uh, and and take from it some principles that I would love to be true about our online community but uh, even more than that, uh, I hope that first and foremost we're seeing the application to our local church communities and looking for ways to to better get connected to the vision that God has for the local church um, so there you have it we have reached the end of ephesians I, I plan to continue this series on both the Christian Geek Central Uh, podcast and our YouTube channel, where it's been an experiment since I started, you know, doing this also in video format on the YouTube channel. Um, I'm, of course, going to continue it on the podcast, as I have been doing uh, for for over 10 years. Uh, And I'm going to continue it on the YouTube channel as well. But I am going to take a little break from it for a few weeks to prepare for what's coming. We're going to do a study through the book of Proverbs, but not all at once. Um, That that might be asking a bit much (laughs) to to ask us to go through the whole book of Proverbs all at once. We're going to start by going through about five chapters and then we'll do a study in the book of James and then we'll go back to Proverbs for a few more chapters and then we'll just kind of see what happens after that if we'll follow a similar pattern you know and uh, going in and out of Proverbs as we go to other books of the New Testament I'm not sure yet but uh, that's that's the plan so far but I do plan on uh eventually in some format taking us all the way through the entire book of Proverbs um one thing I, I admire about so many geeks is their intelligence. Geeks tend to be good readers or tactical thinkers. A high intellect is very common among geeks. But where I see we often need training is in the area of wisdom. In fact, sometimes we mistake intelligence for wisdom and uh, don't even realize that we've unwittingly, unwittingly kind of situa- situated ourselves to kind of play the fool. I remember years ago in a, a Marvel... Uh, paper and pencil RPG, they didn't have an intelligence stat. Instead, they had a wisdom stat. And I was looking at the stats for Mr. Fantastic. And I was like, well, yeah, this guy is brilliant, but he's also made some boneheaded, like foolish decisions, uh, even though, you know, he's a brilliant scientist and stuff. So there's a, there's a real difference between intelligence and wisdom. And I think that we as geeks would really benefit to give attention to the area of developing wisdom in us. I think a study through Proverbs will help us to add wisdom to intelligence in some really useful ways and will equip us to navigate our way through a world that uh let's be honest we often feel like we, we don't fit into very well or or that we look at and we say this isn't the way things should be why are things this way this is, and and so there's just this friction between uh us and and our experience of the world and so i think uh understanding wisdom, gaining wisdom, can help us navigate the world that we feel like such aliens in a lot of the time. Uh, I hope you look forward to that, and I would appreciate your patience while I do some prep so that I can uh, pre- uh, represent both Proverbs and James in a responsible and God-honoring way. Stay tuned, and um, I hope to bring you those two studies starting sometime in the summer months. Feedback. Give me your thoughts on this podcast, Christian Geek Central, or where we should be moving that forum-based community, or the YouTube channel, or anything else we're doing, honestly. Tell me, what should we keep? What should we change? Or what's on your mind you'd like a potentially uninformed opinion on? We want to make this show and all of Christian Geek Central as fun and useful as we can, but we have to hear from you to do that. You can send me an email or record an audio file on your phone. Send it to to me via email. That'd be fine, too. Uh, Send it to P-A-E-T. E R at spiritblade.com dot com. All right, well, as a reminder, guys, if you'd like some help finding a good church in your area, I want to help you do that if I can. Online resources and communities are a good supplement, uh, but by nature, they just cannot speak to your particular situation, like relationships in a local church can, ongoing relationships in a local church. The context for almost everything in the New Testament assumes that we are serving and building purposeful relationships in a a local church. So uh, whether you're in a church that just kind of lacks Bible-based intention, of any kind, or not attending any church at all, if I can help you get connected to an authentic, Bible-oriented church, I want to do that. You can email me at p-a-e-t-e-r at spiritblade.com, and we can uh, start by trying to look at some websites of churches in your area together. Uh, Alright, well, I want to once again thank speculativefaith.com for the article that they shared with us this week. Thank you very much for that, guys. Stay tuned for DS9 shawarma after the credits, or jump back to episode 400 if you want to start from the beginning. As a reminder, you can find episodes zero through 500 of this podcast archived as the spirit blade underground podcast at spiritblade.com next week there will be no podcast i will be out of town uh, visiting a friend uh, about once or twice a year we try to get together and have a gaming weekend and so that's going to be next weekend i'll be out 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 but two weeks from now if god allows it i'll be sharing my e3 wish list slash Completely unreasonable predictions (laughs) for what the biggest gaming announcements will be at E3 coming up in just a few weeks now. And then I'm also hoping to review the movie Upgrade. Oh my gosh, it looks totally up my alley so uh, hopefully that will be the case and I'll have some excited thoughts to share with you till then please consider supporting the work of Christian Geek Central and Spirit Blade Productions by purchasing an audio drama leaving a donation or becoming a Spirit Blade insider you can get more info from our about page at spiritblade.com thank you so much for making time for this show guys I hope you have a great week and that you'll join me next time here on the Christian Geek Central podcast as we continue to geek out and seek the truth
0: The Christian Geek Central Podcast is a community-supported endeavor of Spirit Blade Productions. This podcast is produced by Peter Fremson with support from the Christian Geek Central community at ChristianGeekCentral.com. For information about the latest entertainment and resources from Spirit Blade Productions, visit SpiritBlade.com. Thank you for listening. coming
1: through the wormhole. The dominion has endured for 2,000 years and will continue to endure long after the Federation has crumpled into dust. Five years ago, no one had ever heard of Bajor or Deep Space Nine, and now all our hopes rest here.
2: Babies, babies, and more babies. We watched The Begotten, which was all about babies.
0: This is half a good episode and half a terrible episode.
2: So it comes out to about average, but it really depends on what part you're watching. Um, Odo is sold at the very beginning. Someone found a sick, dying baby changeling. And so he starts to take care of it. And if you remember Dr. Moore, the Bajoran scientist who raised Odo and taught Odo how to become a shapeshifter and then Odo resented because he used a lot of uh, uncomfortable, painful scientific uh, measurements and systems and all that on him.
0: In fairness, at first he did not realize Odo was alive, much less sentient. Yeah,
2: But, you know, so basically it comes down to, the gist of it is Odo has a strained relationship with his own father and now he has a kid. And his father comes in uh, wanting to bring discipline in and Odo wants to do the no discipline progressive uh, parenting kind of thing.
0: He wants to be he wants to be his kid's friend and not his kid's and instructor
2: and And I'm surprised at how well this episode does at instead of just saying like, Oh well discipline is a bad thing he even uses a phrase, spare the rod, spoil a child and he's right in the episode to do it. Instead of acting like anyone who would use any kind of physical discipline on a child is a monster They say, No, you need physical discipline or else you won't grow.
0: Which but, is surprising we, for such a left-leaning show right. as
2: Trek. Although know? they do a good job pointing out that you also do need the love and affection, which Odo didn't get much love and affection because he was a he was a scientific sample being taught.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a very even-handed treatment of the two perspectives.
2: Yeah, and it's uh, Renee Ambrosino Odo is obviously a great actor, and you've probably heard me talk about before about James Sloyan. Uh, he was he's been Odo's. Uh, scientist before. He was in Next Generation in my favorite episode, the Defector. He was the, the Defector. Uh he's been a couple other parts in uh a couple other Star Trek episodes. And even in the bad episodes he's in, he elevates it. I love yeah, this actor. Just
0: seeing these two actors play off each other is great. They and, are yeah. both amazing.
2: And they they're nailing their roles and it, it's effective and it's emotional and you know, it, it really does. It's it's what Peter talked about. It's two interesting characters just talking.
0: Well, and they have a very interesting chemistry between the two of them. You're, you're right. It's a very parent-child relationship. Yeah. And I know Peter's talked about before how he finds it interesting, the relationship of an adult child to a parent. Yeah, so this, so this would be a, a good one for good you, Peter. for that,
2: yeah. Um, unfortunately, there's another subplot. Uh, and it's an impor- plot. And it's an important subplot because, if you remember, Kira has been carrying the child of Keiko and Miles O'Brien that was beamed into her because of an accident a long time ago. And this is mostly to cover of the fact that the actress was pregnant and had to have a baby. And so now the character has to have the baby. That is okay in and of itself. but What's there's dumb tons...
0: is the way she has the baby. There's
2: two stupid things in this. First is we do the stupid aliens are weird thing. And so it was dumb enough when Bajorans, instead of getting morning sickness, sneeze in this cartoonish way. Because morning sickness is not just the thing that happens, it's because there's a lot of waste in your system that your body has to get rid of, through a means it doesn't normally get rid of waste. Uh, So sneezing that out is stupid, because I don't think the baby's waste is going out through your lungs. Um, And if it was, you'd be sneezing all sorts of disgusting, phlegmy crap. But this is even stupider. To give birth, a Bajoran woman needs to relax. And so everyone's sitting there with rattles and gongs and trying to keep a perfect rhythm.
0: She she has to achieve a state of complete zen and chill. And apparently it will just slide right on out of her. Now I'm going to pause for all of you ladies listening to give a big derisive laugh. Especially
2: the ones who have actually given birth. (laughs) And you don't have to have given birth to know how stupid that is. He knows how stupid that yeah, is Well yeah because I understand some basic biology <laughs> It's like you're passing something The size of a watermelon through a hole The size of a lemon There is stress there um, So just it, It's a stupid concept to begin with But even worse is it's extremely sexist Because it does the standard Really stupid cliche that TV often does That men when it comes to birthing Freak out and don't know how to act
0: Men are useless and stupid
2: Because we have five characters involved in this. We have Kira, Kira's boyfriend, Shakar, if you remember him, who in the last episode was a dignified and very reliable and respectable person. Now he's just a tool. He's the
0: first minister of a freaking planet, and he's behaving like a frat boy.
2: Um, You have Miles and Keiko, and you have the midwife. Well, all the women, of course, they know exactly what they're doing, but Miles... Boy, he's just a stupid man who can't keep the right rhythm. And I would say, why not put on a freaking MP3 if rhythm is that important? Well, then why have everyone sit there and bang their gongs? Yeah. Some people can't bang their gong in the right rhythm. Just and, and stop blaming him like he's some sort of an idiot because he can't play rhythm. He's an engineer. Rhythm's not his job. Fixing things is his job. But it gets even stupider because Shakar comes along. He's already throwing things off because he's late. And he just keeps acting like a a jealous fool whenever he sees O'Brien is like trying to help Kira. He goes, oh, I'll help. That makes it worse. And then gets mad at O'Brien. And O'Brien like... Shoves
0: him out of the way when he wants to see his own child born. He
2: wants to see his own child because his first child was born on TNG and there was an emergency going on so he wasn't there for that.
0: Yeah, he was trapped in a separate area of the ship from
2: his wife. And so the second one he says, I want to see my child born. What a jerk, huh? Well, he wants to see it, and Shakara is saying, no, you don't get to see this, as if he, he's he been living with Kira. He's seen all there is to see, and anyone who has seen a birth knows that this is not exactly sexy time either. Yeah. So, the idea that, you know, is, does anyone other than Keiko have a right to say, O'Brien doesn't have a right to see this? I don't see how that is, and she doesn't seem to mind. Heck, don't forget, the two of them almost went off on a romantic weekend together until they held themselves back. So, and it was just... It's really it's full of the oh you stupid men you need women to come and save you from everything and it's just really insulting.
0: Yeah, it's it's very sitcommy and you just yeah like, it's just slap stupid
2: it. and it keeps interrupting this very touching and good story about Odo and his dad and the baby and all this stuff going on.
0: It's it's like you're watching a very intense emotional movie and then someone comes in sits on the remote and
2: puts on Family Matters.
0: Yeah, it's. Oh, it's so jarring.
2: And so, the, the, the Kira subplot, you're just going to have to laugh at, because I promise you won't laugh with it. I mean, the only good comedy in this episode was there was a poop joke early on that was funny. And guess what? That was an Odo story. <laughs> I, I leave it to you to figure out where the poop joke was in Odo's story. But, <laughs> uh, but the Odo Mora story, that is worth the ticket. And I don't want to say what happens, but at the end, we have another major turning point. Which will come up, well, I'm sure we'll bring this up later. But for now, all you need to know is there's a major change that will happen at the end of this episode.
0: So we do, you need, you need to watch this episode for our overarching plot. And we do recommend at least the Odo plot. The Kira plot, you can tolerate and mock, yeah. as is your preference.
2: And luckily, I mean, there's nothing important that happens in the case of the birth, just she had a baby. Yeah, well, just... she could have had the baby off camera, for all that matter. Yeah.
0: Kid has been ejected.
2: But that's about it for this episode. Next time, we will come back and we'll see more of Michael Eddington. Remember him? The one who betrayed everyone and joined the Maquis? We're going to get some continuity there, because this is good Star Trek, where continuity matters. We'll see you then.